all have our secrets. We just didn't get to yours yet. Good morning, Vietnam! I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Welcome to the Movie Scramble podcast. We are recording a Bond special because we are talking about No Time to Die, which is Bond's 25th outing in the cinema. And I am joined by a full house today for this particular podcast. Forgot the word for podcast there, that's great. I am joined by Thomas and John. Thomas, how are you? I am doing very well. It's good to it's good to be back in the podcast. It's good to be speaking to you about film, especially Bond. It just feels like, was this film ever going to come out at one point? I know. I know, I think, what was it, four delays in total? That's got Maybe, to be a record. Yeah, yeah. That might actually be a record for a pandemic cinema. And John, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm surprised that I could expel so much snot from my body over the last couple of days and still not lose any weight. But yeah, nice. there you go. There's there's not much you can really do about that. But yes, I, I'm good. I'm glad to be speaking to other human beings rather than just looking at a computer screen all day and, and writing some stuff. So yeah, aye, it's been a nice couple of weeks. We are obviously discussing No Time to Die, which is Daniel Craig's last outing as Bond. James Bond. Licensed to kill. In love with Madeline Swan. I could be speaking to my own reflection. Only your skills die with your body. And life is all about leaving something behind, isn't it? This film has obviously been delayed multiple times, so it was had a massive opening weekend at the box office. Bond is obviously back. He is reunited with Madeline Swan and Blofeld, and he is on a mission to find out who the mysterious Saffin is, what his plans are for nefarious world domination, and also to take some time to actually reassess his personal life and how much his job has essentially taken its toll on who he is, the people he gets involved with, the lies that he tells, and there's obviously a lovely appearance from Anna de Arnas as well. Simi. What were your thoughts on the movie? I've only ever seen all the Daniel Craig Bond films, the ones. So it's always kind of find it hard to say I prefer this one to that one and that, but it's so far between and the new one's always fresher. But this is the most fun I've had watching Bond since probably Casino Royale. I just thought it was so entertaining. It wasn't as bogged down in its own, own self-worth. I think that Spectre was. I didn't think it was a pretentious aspect to either. I thought Skyfall was also very heavy in its themes and topics that just kind of crushed the enjoyment for the film. Whereas with this, I did think it was a lot lighter for the most part, although the world domination evil villain plan was pretty brutal. There was a lot of humour in it that I thought really worked, a lot of different humour. I don't usually get in Bond films. Uh, you mentioned Anna de Armas in the scene where like, Bond tries to hit her, and she's like, no, what are you doing? And I just thought that was really funny because... As much as she, I think she's like 33, she looks a lot younger. And Daniel Craig looks a lot older, regardless of how old James Bond's supposed to be. It just it would have looked weird. Although we're used to seeing James Bond hitting the young women. It, it was better played for laughs at that scene, I think. I think it really worked. So we bits like that for the film. I, I, I thought were great. I, I thought were really good. Um, so yeah, really emotional as well. I mean, does not get away from the emotive subject yeah. of it. Very intense. But just overall, we're just a, a, a great blast of a film. Yeah, totally agree. John, your first thoughts? I was quite surprised by the film, to be perfectly honest. I was really looking forward to it. I always look forward to the Bond films. 
I liked the fact that with the Daniel Craig films, there was a sort of a through arc throughout the film. So you, you can trace something from the first film through to the last film. And in preparation for actually seeing it, I did go back and watch Casino Royale, which is my favourite of the Bonds, just because it's like his first introduction to it. And then you can actually see some of the through lines and various story elements which link directly to Casino Royale. Obviously, there's various other bits with some of the other films as well, but that was very sort of pressing to what we actually saw on screen. I liked the fact that Craig was a bit older and yeah, it did show his age a lot in it and he didn't try to mask that the same way that Roger Moore tried to mask it in some of his uh, later appearances. And as I say, I was surprised in the fact that the, the opening scene was so long. Mm-hmm. I was I, I yeah. thought that I thought at some point this is going to end and then it would go into the, the titles and everything, but it didn't it just kept rolling on rolling. It must have been about 25 minutes long. It was really, really extended. And I was surprised at the fact that there were so few action scenes as compared to dramatic scenes. There was mm-hmm. a lot more talking in this film than probably any previous bond. It didn't seem to be a film that was based around the set pieces. It was more based around the characters, which was maybe a slight departure. They've been moving towards that, but it meant that the the action pieces for me fitted in better with the film rather than for the sake of spectacle. Rather than that, yeah. but having said that, it did end up in exactly the same way as every other Bond seems to end up in the evil lair. But uh, <laughs> we can speak about that later on as well. But yes, initially, sure. yep. very happy, very entertained. Yeah, I, for me, it felt like a, as much as a sort of not a love, like a love letter to Daniel Craig, a sort of thank you for for your service to be a bit cheesy. You know, I felt I felt like a very like Craig focused, like as you say, quite drama focused, as opposed to big stunts. Although we did get the motorcycle going up over the wall, which made me actually squee in the cinema. But I felt this was a more personal bond in the sense that like you did get to know you know he, you could tell there was kind of hopes and fears in there he wasn't just a sort of ruthless like secret agent killing machine it felt like a, a more humanized version of him and obviously there's the relationship with Madeline Swan did that appeal to you guys did that feel like did that make you feel like you knew the character more or are you just here for sort of like big explosions and set pieces like what do you think about striking that balance I think it worked um, it wasn't so much a case of when I was going to the film, I was wanting either or. It's more a kind of case for me is when I go and see a Bond film, uh, it's not a case I'm expecting X, Y, and Z. It's does the vehicle benefit from the story they're telling? And sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you go and see a Bond film and it is all spectacle. But yeah, you see some Bond films that are always kind of a spectacle and that's fine. And you see something like this that's kind of dramatic and it works. And for me, I didn't, I didn't really know what to expect. I think the Bond films, when it comes to the actor's swan song, have a bit of a patchy history. Mm-hmm. To be honest, we're always going to go back to Die Another Day in the oh. Invisible Car. Which I still, I still. I, I don't, I don't acknowledge the Brosnan era at all. So. Oh come on, Golden Eyes one of the best Bond films. But I still Sorry. I, coming after Dalton, there was nothing that was going to top that for me so, until Craig came along. So, I mean, Golden Eyes so good. Sean Bean dies twice. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but this though, for example, it's like they had the runtime as well to fill. And they did invest more in Bond. It's a long runtime. It was. Long runtime, yeah. They did invest more in Bond in the character and the man, as you were saying, mm-hmm. John. And it wasn't a kind of case of like me getting expecting either or. But for me, it really, really worked because they pulled it off. They, mm-hmm. they delivered for me. And being that it was 
Daniel Craig's swan song as Bond. I liked it, as you're saying, George, that's, that's clear up to it. So it made sense to me to go that way, especially with the ending they delivered. Mm-hmm. You couldn't get that payoff unless you were sh- you had you had you were caring about the character. Caring about Bond's one thing, but caring about Bond in this film and Daniel Craig's Bond as a whole is something different, and I think it really delivered. Mm-hmm. Well, you can tell that the emphasis was more on the character of Madeline Swan and the fact that the opening scene which traditionally in a Bond film is an action set piece involving him chasing down somebody or almost like a self-contained story. But this time, the focus was on Madeline Swan to begin with, her backstory, her young life and everything. And I thought that was a very bold move, let's face it, because you don't get that in a Bond film. You can see, you could understand why people would be saying, well, this isn't the, this isn't the sort of Bond I'm signed up for. But it was, in terms of like sort of dramatic storytelling, it was a real step forward for a film that could quite easily alienate an audience by doing something like that. But I think they got away with it. I'm going to disagree with you guys slightly, just because I love Bond and I love all the sort of, you know, the, the glamour of the Bond girls and the various relationships over the years. I don't want my Bond to settle down. I don't want that domestic life. I don't care. I want you to be out killing bad guys and I want you to look, you know, amazing in a tux while you're doing it. I'm happy with all the sort of string of sort of meaningless relationships, but I actually almost don't want Bond to become domesticated. And I know that sounds really silly, but I think it's just because I like the dark. So I like the the early days, Craig, and I like, I love Dalton as Bond. And I like even like early Sean Connery. I like that dark, ruthless, brooding, you know, that really cold blooded type of character. And so actually for me, Although there were some lovely touches, including the music, which we can come on to, I actually really don't like like Daddy Bond, and I don't mean Daddy in the good way. Like I just think that <laughs> to me it's like I, it's quite incongruous with with what I think of when I think of, of Bond. So I guess I'm exactly what you said, John. I'm perhaps not the the target market for that type of message, but it's just because I prefer the sort of darker side, not because I'm worried about Bond getting woke, etc., etc. I just say uh, I prefer the darker stuff. See, I did think this Bond was very dark, though. I mean, he killed indiscriminately. Pretty brutally, and I mean, as I've seen, it was in the trailer as well, with the cars flipping over, and he's chasing it with a machine gun through the mm-hmm. windscreen. He was double tapping like a motherfucker during this film. <laughs> uh, was... But I, but I also think that a lot of that is because it was inspired by his desire to protect Madeline and yeah. spoilers, her child. And I just think that again, I don't, I don't ever see a in my head anyway. I don't see a Bond motivated by love. I'd see a, a Bond motivated by duty and the desire to protect is bigger than just the individual. Does Dalton's Bond not do that? I'm wondering. So, no, he obviously, the, uh, I think you mean in Licence to Kill. He's motivated by revenge, wasn't he? Yeah, so that's more of a revenge yeah. thing than like a sort of paternal instinct or whatever you want to call it. However, like I said, it didn't bother me so much that I didn't enjoy the film. It's just a wee sort of niggle for me. Obviously, the whole opening sequence, just as it before it sort of launched into Billie Eilish's really, really good Bond theme, I actually think. She did a really good job. And there's that beautiful piece of music, which is called Matera, which obviously riffs really lovely. The John Barry version of We Have All the Time in the World. I just... Yeah. That, I started crying straight away. I can. I knew there was going to be little nods to different bonds in this film, but I wasn't expecting something so emotive 
and so early on in the film did you guys sort of I mean is it just me that was just sitting greeting in the cinema or did you guys feel that as well? Can, can a quick question mind you because I, I, yeah, I really can't answer that as much because I'm not the biggest James Bond fan but I didn't notice the music that it was all the time in the world what film is that was that George the George Honor yeah, on Her Majesty's Secret Service. I was almost kind of hoping, because that's that famous line of, this never happened to the other fellow, yes. that they would somehow fling that in here, which they didn't quite work. But the themes on her, on, of On Her Majesty's Secret Service and the sort of relationship dynamic is obviously very, very similar to this bond, which is why Lazenby's been tweeting about it quite enthusiastically, because I think he gets a bit of a bum rap for being the romantic bond, and he's obviously enjoying seeing that resurgence of that side. But yeah, that piece of music I thought was perfectly timed, brilliantly executed, and actually just really brought it all together as being part of this sort of bigger thread as opposed to just this one bond. Yeah, it worked really well, didn't it? I'd actually heard it a couple of days before. It was one of the tracks mm-hmm. that they released just before it. And I, you hear the, the opening sort of chords of it and you know right away, even before yeah. the, the theme comes in, because there's like sort of wee teasers in it and then you go, ah, that's what that is. Yeah, it worked perfectly well. And obviously with the, the line as well, we have all the time in the world. Because when she wants to go faster in the car and he says, no, yeah. no, no, we've got all the time in the world. And you you know at that point that something dark is going to happen. <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah. it's, not, yeah. it's not going to be plain sailing at all. Yeah, You, you just know as well when they made that, see that line, there was always somebody in the cinema that laughed really loudly just to let you know he got that joke. Oh, hmm. I hate people like that, but yeah, and thankfully I don't have anyone like that. Or if, they, if there was anyone like that, it's anyone with Silver Burn, I was too busy crying to, to hear that. But there was lots of like nice, like lovely touches and little nods to to other bonds but before we sort of go on to that I really want to mention uh, Billy Madison's character of Logan because you were talking about the sort of comedy elements of it Simi and I love I love the line when Daniel Craig turned around and was like you know what's the Book of Mormon doing here because he's so like perfectly pressed he's like and that so worked and I really liked his character and how although he was this kind of like maybe comedy sort of almost bordering kind of slapstick type of role like it seemed to just work and come together and they actually kind of got the tone of it right I think yeah I agree yeah. Um, the, the fact they smiled too much and everything yeah. as well. they commented now and it smells too much which I thought yeah obviously going for a dark and broody film and there's this guy hey yeah yeah I'm he's got CIA written his forehead hey yeah I'm an agent <laughs> really really good and of course what a weekend for him because he had that and he had the many saints of newark out in the same weekend so billy magnuson must be having a great time but i just thought his character worked really really well what i thought was really interesting as well is also the dynamic between bond and the new 007 because i think people are so wrapped up in this idea that 007 is bond and therefore bond is 007 as opposed to just being a number or a job title so I think people were kind of losing their shit that uh, Lashana Lynch was obviously taking over this role but I loved their chemistry together their relationship the way they worked together I thought that was it just added a whole new like layer to the film and I thought that it worked really really well what do you think about this you know 007 is a very iconic number how did you feel about seeing it being given to someone else as it were i liked it because it's it added to the story again that's the thing it's, it's not kind of case to be sitting in from this house at the pram because they've did something that's not traditionally associated mm-hmm. with bond i'm like if it works in the story for me i don't care what to do and with this i thought it really worked because it added that wee extra dig in the ribs for the uh, daniel craig's bond to the point like em's like look you left us type thing and mm-hmm. then we've took your number off. It almost seems like petty for them to do it, although it's just like like a football player. They don't always retire their shirt. It gets passed on, but 
that she makes a joke to at one point, which do you think we're going to retire the number? But you also yeah. think to yourself that they could have done because he's service, but the liberal went, no, we're going to give it to somebody else because we don't know yeah. you. I can imagine yeah, you that, that petty. Oh, totally. That was like a really pissy workplace move. And you're like, oh, it's good to know that like our national security service is every bit as petty as like every other office up and down the country. But um, yeah, no, I thought it worked. As I say, I thought it added an extra wee layer to the film and a sort of another layer to him as well, because you could see that it did get his back up because he obviously mm-hmm. did feel that was his number. And again, that sort of added that little bit of kind of tension between him and M as well, because M wants to show, you know, his boss so and i love the bit when he's talking to him and he calls him mallory yeah and you're like oh just like it's his wee digs to each other you know yeah 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 because that calls back to one of his initial conversations with the judy dench version of M when he says oh i didn't realize M was i thought it was just a, an initial it's actually mm-hmm. it actually means that she goes if you see that have you shot or something like that so yeah i thought that was quick <laughs> I, I felt that the the introduction of a a black woman as 007 initially was a, a bit of a, a thumb up to some of the the Bond detractors because you always, I mean, we've we've had this for a couple of years now with mm-hmm. possibility of Idris Elba taking on mm-hmm. the role and people say no, you can't have a a Bond that's not white or male and what mm-hmm. they've done there slyly is just slipped that in there. So you've got a a, a black woman. Mm-hmm. as a 007 and it works perfectly well because it was a very good performance Lashana Lynch was fantastic in it very oh, yeah. dry very witty and she gave as good as she got in the sort of verbal competitions between her and Daniel Craig I thought that it worked very very well for the trailers and that when the trailer came out actually and people were kind of like moaning about it and I was saying I can't believe they made James Bond uh, a black woman and I was like have they? And I'm, I'm, I'm like on Twitter going, have they missed this? <laughs> I can still see recast? Daniel Craig, I know. <laughs> I like, who, who have they recast? And I watched the trailer and I'm yeah. going, oh, so they haven't, they've just, uh, oh, so it's the same film. So actually, so this is still a Daniel Craig film, he's James Bond. What? Honestly, who cares? I know, well, there's also a theory being floated on the internet that James Bond isn't a real person, but a code name, and that's how it sort of allows for all these different actors to... Well, name. I have always been 100% on board with that fan theory, and it also makes sense for the fact that you've got Judy Dench's Bond transcending Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig. Mm-hmm. Then Skyfall came out, and it was almost like the writers went, fuck you and your fan theory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I never liked yeah. that, because I was always like, there was no need for them to do that. I always felt However, that, I always felt I think... that as a deliberate, fuck you, I always felt that way to me. I, I think that's just that been true to the books, though, because in the books, James Bond is a person, you know, Andrew Bond is his, you know, his Scottish father, and that's where the roots yeah. come from, and I think that, you know, but there's nothing wrong with sort of playing with that theory, I mean, how else do you get, like, Doctor Who and stuff like that, it's like, there's, it's okay with playing with that theory and sort of enjoying the fact it's, that, as a character, he's fairly malleable. It's just clearly not one timeline, and it's almost, every, every new Bond's like a reboot. And that was made mm-hmm. very, very evident with Daniel Craig when it was almost him starting off as 007. Mm-hmm. But then well, yeah, you had, he had, the to get, M... he had to get his first kills. Yeah. So you, had the, yeah. you had the M crossover part and you're like, well, wait to this fan theory. And I said, no, no, no. Your fan theory is rubbish. We'll go back to the book. Here's just say, fan, I've come back to the book. Mm-hmm. But have they now written themselves into a comma with the ending of this one? Or yeah. did, they go for, did they go for a blanket reboot and reboot M, Money Penny, everybody? Uh, do you know it's possible they could do either? The, the... The one issue I had, I mean, like I said, I wasn't a massive fan of the sort of personal relationship thing, but the one issue I had with this film in particular, you talked about timelines there, the timeline on this film, does not, during this film, doesn't make sense. 
So when we're first introduced to Safin, played by Rami Malek, he is, you know, butchering Madeline Swan's family and then attempts to save her from drowning, you know, from underneath the ice. And he appears to be a young guy. And then Bond meets him presumably maybe 20, maybe even 30 years later. And miraculously, you know, despite the fact that he's spent the past 30 years like trying to basically kill people through through their DNA and a, and a virus, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Um, <laughs> so I, I found that quite, I was like, oh, okay, you've not aged in the entire time, like in 30 years. That was the one thing that kind of maybe that kind of took me out of this film. And it's a shame because I thought he was a, he was a good baddie like the concept of what they were doing was clever you know he was manipulating people's dna to basically kill them on the spot he was obviously really clever but actually you got hints of his background and what his father had taught him back at the the garden in the evil lair and i actually liked him better than blofeld did i say it i thought he was a sort of better baddie i did i've I've said before probably in our podcast maybe just just in general conversation from the pub and that i was so disappointed with blofeld and christoph vox inspector christoph vox was going to play a bond villain i'm like this is going to be good Mm -hmm. and it wasn't and it it, i didn't think he was very good either and the role it was like he was a different film Mm -hmm. and i was like how how have they managed to to make an ass of this it's a guy that's played some of the most iconic villains in cinema and then he gets to play a james bond villain and it's like he's forgot what film he's in it's like he's in it was just a wet wipe there was no threat like i just never ever felt like when you look at other characters that he's played and you act, you do feel intimidated. And I just thought, you know, Blofeld, really iconic villain, really amazing actor. It was, it just didn't work you for know, me. Do you think that was maybe the issue? No, it develops too much for this film, but I suppose he's in this as well. Mm-hmm. The fact that they made him Blofeld and they went and re- revamped that and brought him back, oh. and you're like, it would have been better just keep him original. I know they brought back Spectre and all that, but I think it was the fact as well because you bring him into it. And he's not below field at the start. It's the whole Star Trek into darkness thing, isn't it? Is he can? Is he not can? Oh, he's obviously can. Mm-hmm. Mm. Why give it a secret that it's clear what you're doing? Uh, I almost thought, actually, judging by the way they had um, Saf and Jess with that kind of like collar, the sort of tunic thing that he had on in the gardens, and like that. I actually thought they were going to reboot Doctor No. And I thought this is where this yeah. is headed. Obviously, they've not, uh, as people will see once they, they go and see the film. But I thought he was a far more credible villain, very calm very softly spoken. You, as I say, you got to know a little about, you know, he's cultivating all these herbs and he's very interested in science, but he's obviously just you know a really bad guy. But I thought he was a much more credible villain, which is such a shame because I do love Christoph Waltz, but it just, yeah, Rami Malek was, was much better, despite the odd timeline thing that went on. My issue as well with the villain in this was, it didn't seem to be in it much. And I don't mean in no, terms of the screen wasn't. time and things mm-hmm. like that. I mean, it just, like, there We've spoken we spoke earlier about the, the focus being on the character-driven Bond film. Mm-hmm. But Bond, he's a villain, and he had one here. He's a good villain on paper. But on screen, I'm like, his plan doesn't really seem to be that... I don't know, it just doesn't seem much impact for me. It was very yeah. much downplayed, the the whole mastering the world kind of plot and everything. Going back to what you said about, um, about the timeline thing, the, mm-hmm. the notable difference between the young Safin and the older Safin was the fact that older Safin's skin was a lot better. The young Safin, <laughs> he looked a bit like Thanos. <clears throat> yeah, okay. The older one. And I, I thought they kind of got away with that, the time differencing, because obviously he had some work done. He obviously had his skin fixed a bit. Uh, okay, and you know okay. what it's like? It's very difficult to tell somebody's age if they've actually had decent work done until they're about yeah. 65 and everything else hangs <laughs> <laughs> hangs off in lumps apart from like your chin and your cheeks, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So I kind no, of thought. Yeah. Although I mean, I suppose in the in fairness, the first time you see him, he's he's wearing the mask. Um, but I just thought that was the only thing that kind of took me out of it. Although I will give you a laugh when I went to see it. Obviously, they start off in the lab, and Hugh Dennis rocks up. A few people in the audience were like, "Oh, that's Hugh Dennis!" Like really loud. Mm-hmm. And that was not what I expected. I was going to experience it at Bond twenty five. That's for sure. And that scene itself was pretty brutal. It was, it was pretty. Yeah, that was pretty dark. Um, and again, was... no, but it starts off with a joke, obviously, because uh-huh. it's the the they put was it anthrax some or something yeah. to put something yeah. on, on his lunchbox. Yeah, <laughs> to pull off his lunch. You don't expect that. You know, you don't expect secondary characters in a Bond film to actually. Uh, well, not even secondary. They're more like tertiary characters in a Bond film to actually have comedic lines in any way. It was, it was, yeah. And then, of course, it got oof, horrifically dark, you know, it was just oh, it was, it was very It was so clinical. sudden. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. But I think that's there's a lot of sort of dark and light in this as well because even when they introduced Anna Darna's character she's like almost kind of playing the airhead like oh I've never done this before and ha-, you know mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden she's like karate chopping somebody in the face and machine gunning like a whole line of men so it's like there was that constant sort of back and forth between and even obviously the dynamic between Logan and Felix as well you know Logan's this kind of grinning idiot and and Felix is there to sort of tell you know bad news or whatever so I think that they really played with sort of light and shade the the whole way through it mm. yeah, yeah Felix was great in this as well yeah I thought Jeffrey yeah. Wright was great as Felix I felt that the inclusion of his character and the inclusion of Blofeld were really to tie up ends more than anything Mm -hmm. else because you could have kind of done away with that whole Cuba sequence from the film and it wouldn't have made any difference to the film, I don't think. They could have found out the information by by being back in London, you know. But for the spectacle part of it, yes, it was good. And for the Mm -hmm. fact that it it ties up an end, it gives Felix uh, a proper ending. And it mm-hmm. obviously gives him motivation. It gives him another reason for revenge as well for, mm-hmm. for moving forward. Which I thought was, and you know, Jeffrey Ray. I could watch him all day. He's just fantastic. Yes, I suppose that's the thing as well regarding that idea of the bond being one big long continuous line. It's weak had as it's characters like him that pop back up mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. so often. And it's like if you just treat Bond as a reboot each time, regardless of which characters cross over, mm-hmm. it's what you want really. Yeah, and it's, I feel like it's strange that they, they they almost have the need for this this continuity because actually, if you ask someone, you know, who's your favourite Bond, they have a very specific era that they're drawn to for either nostalgia reasons or whatever. So I actually almost feel like you don't need that crossover because, you know, someone who likes the Roger Moore era will probably just go and watch the movies anyway and they'll, and they'll pick up little points and, you know, little nods to to that era or whatever. I, don't, I almost feel like you don't need that level of continuity because everyone has their own sort of favourites anyway. I, I, I would like in America, you mentioned Doctor Who, but Doctor Who does have that one continuous storyline, even though it's different eras. But maybe like Batman, mm-hmm. you've got your Adam mm-hmm. West Batman, your Michael Keaton Batman, your Christian Bale, you know, it's like everybody's got their own favourite mm-hmm. of the era. And nobody ever thinks that Adam West Batman grows up to be Ben Affleck. <laughs> you know, <it's> like... <laughs> yeah, and do you know why? Because Adam West was the better Batman. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> And thank you. Good night. That was lovely. Um, <laughs> so yeah, obviously, as I said, there's a lot of continuity. There's a lot of crossover. There's lots of lovely little touches to to other bonds. Is there anything in particular that stood out for you that you thought, oh, that's a nice little nod to such and such, or were you sort of going in with, with kind of fresh eyes? I'm just getting more kind of fresh eyes. Like I say, I'm not the biggest Bond fan, so like some of the obvious stuff, like all ten of the world kind of mm-hmm. stuck it to me. Now there's a lot of Easter eggs that I probably missed, 
but they've got me thinking of a Bondverse. And I just like the idea <laughs> of them like, all crossing over. Like, obviously, you, you could do it with technology. Let's put it Sean Connery's Bond and like Daniel Craig's Bond teaming up, having like banter on screen. That'd be excellent. I like the the use of the the Aston Martins. Obviously, it was a yes. classic one, which he'd yeah. obviously he won in Casino Royale. But the second one that he was driving was the Timothy Dalton one, was it not? Yes, it was. Which uh, was a, a, a fantastic wee nod, which yeah. I didn't get at first. I had to go and look up later because I was, I was like, I know that car, I've seen it before. And then obviously when I looked, yeah, Mr. Dalton's version of it. Yeah, yeah I I think there was there was lots of wee bits in there, obviously, like uh, the fact that there was a conversation between the new 007 and Moneypenny. And they were saying how, you know, I can understand why you shot him and all this sort of stuff, which was a nice wee uh, sort of call back to that. And she says, oh, well, somebody, you know, somebody tries, everybody tries at least once. So, uh, yeah, yeah. It was, that was a, a nice wee note as well. It was good. Yeah. I like as well the new 00, just cold bloodedly killed the guy at the end, the scientist, just mm. booted them into mm. the, the kind of wee virus river thing. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, I'm into that. I, I like that. I like that. I like that. Kind of like, you know what? Like, they are, they are cold-blooded yeah. agents, you know? And yeah. that's been evident throughout the entire franchise, let alone just like Daniel Craig's I, I watched Summer Spectre the other week when I was uh, down in London and just watched the beginning, but it's a bit when you know, the assassins come up towards uh, Monica Bellucci and they just get shot. You see him drop and like Daniel Craig yeah. walks up to the silence. I'm just like, da, da, da. I just killed two guys and I'm just casually <laughs> going to ash you out, you know? I will say that I think that similar to Monica Bellucci, I thought Anna de Arnest was kind of underused in this as well. She yes. basically a couple of scenes and I thought it was a shame because I thought their chemistry was really good. It was really natural, um, not in a sort of relationship type of way, but just that kind of natural sort of working together thing. And I thought a wee bit like Bellucci's character, she had her five minutes and, and, and that was it. So that was a, a wee bit of a, a shame. But the thing is, they introduced, you know, they obviously introduced quite a few new characters. There's obviously your new villain and stuff like that. So I get they don't have time for everything. But I just thought it was a wee shame that she wasn't in it as much as, as what I'd hoped. Yeah, I agree. I mean, she's awesome anyway. I think she's brilliant. Uh, she's, she's great in this. But I love that whole scene mm-hmm. at the party. That was that to me was just like really classic cheesy Bond. Mm-hmm. When he realises all the villains know he's there. And Blofeld's yeah. like, hello, James. And then like, the spotlight goes on him. And you're like, how's it going to get out of this mm-hmm. thing? That was just, it was so over the top in a very camp way. Yeah. For, a, for the for the Daniel Craig films, could be like people saying, oh, it's, it's a gritty Bond. It's more kind of like a born style realism and things like that. But it doesn't always just touch as wee things like that. Because it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's such a really, if you think about it, absurd scene. All these super villains, and they're all just like, ah, Bond, we've got you. You know, yeah. I love that. I love that. A supervillain convention. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. Just, I think that's great. Yeah. You know, where was the risk assessment before they, they decided to all meet together in a big, <laughs> a big hotel? You know. I know. And, and, I loved it. Who's out, who's out doing bad stuff if we'd all in here that type of thing? Yeah. <laughs> and boy, just walking about. You know what I mean, like yeah. uh, casually, and they're like, "Is that not James Bond? No, can't be James Bond. Can't be James yeah. Bond." Yeah. James Boy would have been stupid enough to have for a spectacular convention just well enough. Not the last time. <laughs> again. <laughs> no, but I really like, and again, it's that whole kind of thing of like shades of like dark and light. Like it is ridiculous that he's going into that and like they're, have, they're having a drink and all that at the bar beforehand. Then all of a sudden, like carnage sort of breaks out. I do think it's interesting that the, the script for this obviously went through like a million redrafts and obviously Phoebe Waller Bridge was brought in to, to rewrite. And I do think there's there's evidence that she's be, like been there and been in amongst the writing because you can tell by that sort of lighthearted comedy. Yeah. But and I, and I do think that actually 
if Bond is going to continue, then it does need that. Because I think that as much as I love the sort of dark and, and violent stuff, it does need those lighter touches to break it up. Because I think it obviously kind of runs the risk of becoming too serious. And when you become too serious, it almost becomes like, you know, you're trying to be like kind of like high art or like pretentious or something. And I just feel like actually that's not Bond as well, because he does have a, a sense of humour. Um, so I like the fact that there was this kind of sort of running gag sort of through it, not like Roger Moore-esque, like keeping the British end up type of stuff, but just nice sort of quips and stuff like that. Because you would expect someone who is that well-travelled and that debonair to to be funny. And I, and I like the fact that they sort of brought that in. Obviously, this is a movie that had gone through a lot of problems, not just the fact that it got delayed several times over, but there was like rewrites upon rewrites. And I think, I think, was it Rafe Fiennes actually said, you know, there's lines of dialogue in the trailer that, you know, never made it into the movie, all that sort of thing. Do you think it felt sort of rushed or pieced? I know I'm saying rushed in the sense that obviously it was delayed, but do you, did it feel too pieced together or did it did it work? I mean, we're obviously seeing the comedy and stuff worked, but, you know, what were your thoughts on the sort of overall package? I think, especially with the rising clickbait articles and people trying to get traffic to their website, people too put too much focus on the idea of a troubled production mm-hmm. and air quotes for people listening. <laughs> because basically it's a case like, this went through a rewrite after rewrite and Danny Boyle's mm-hmm. attached to the director and left the project. And that happens in films all the time. It's happened in films for years. Mm-hmm. See if Back to the Future was made now. There'd be all this clickbait article. Oh my God, Eric Stokes has left the project. Oh my God, this film's going to be doomed to failure. Yeah. It's not. Just these things happen. Films don't just go for here's my draft, that's excellent, let's make a movie. <laughs> and they just put too much focus on it now. Is it yeah. it must be terrible, that's why they're rewriting it. No, they're always tweaking stuff. It doesn't always work. It, it, it happens more often than not. You know, it's like yeah. not every film's made by Quentin Tarantino, where he's yeah. got the whole overseer to we've discussed him in previous podcasts as well. Sometimes he needs somebody to rein him in <laughs> and cut and cut things out. Uh, so I didn't think it was obvious in watching the film that it was under all these rewrites and directors leaving and stuff, personally anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, like Thomas says, that's the, the nature of filmmaking. You only need to listen to something like Film Stories, the Simon Brew podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And he, every week he talks about films, that are, how they went through their production, and it's never an easy process. It's a, a marathon rather than a sprint getting a film mm-hmm. made. So like you say... It is always going to be numerous rewrites. It takes years before a film actually gets to the filming stage normally because mm-hmm. of the fact that they go through so many drafts and so many writers. So I don't think it was disjointed in any way. It was interesting, though, that some of the stories about why Danny Boyle came away from the film had to do with how he wanted the character of James Bond to end up at the end of the film. Do you know what? That was going to be my next thing. Like, what would a Danny Boyle James Bond look like? So, you obviously have done some reading. Yeah. Do you want to share? Well, well, ultimately, we'd be dead. Oh, okay. <laughs> the, the Danny Boyle vision for James Bond at the end of No Time to Die was he was going to die. He was going really? to be no more. Oh. Yeah, that was, that was one of the stories that was getting floated about around there for it was quite a while and that was one of the reasons that's been cited obviously not officially because they just said creative differences but mm-hmm. there was a lot of talk about it being since it was going to be the last daniel craig film then we would kill him off and apparently well, what was reported well, i say reported it was obviously tittle tattle more than anything else the the producers and uh, everybody else involved with 
the money-making scam that is the Bond Empire, we're saying, no, no, we can't do that. We can't kill off James Bond. It's just not, it's just not the done thing. But and here we are. I was going to say, so if we get into spoiler territory, like you know, we've been the podcast, in spoiler territory yeah, almost from the well, start. Really. Well, even even more so. So if you really, really don't want to know how No Time to Die ends, then switch off the podcast now. But obviously, at the end of this movie, big giant explosion. Bond is presumably consumed by it. But then you. Well, I don't the... think so much presumably. But you see him pretty yeah. much. Well, you know what I mean. Well. <laughs> You, you, you can see it through the tears streaming through your face. <laughs> well, what I'm saying is you sit through the credit sequence and obviously the famous James Bond will be back comes up but at the end. Is, so how do and you that's, know? And that's the thing. Is Multiverse. Saying, yeah. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> if, if, they're, if they're saying another continuity, they have written themselves into a corner. But mm-hmm. if, they're, so if, they, if they bring it back, and you've still got Ralph Fiennes and um, mm-hmm. Naomi Harris. And they still allude to it, and they say they have like Lashana Lynch is Bond. Yeah. That's a kind of having your cake and eating it. Well, she, so she's not, she's not Bond. She's, she's not. No, I know, seven. I know. But so we see if they, they, they continue that vein, for example. Sure. But they're just going to re, just reboot it and just pretend these five, these previous films didn't happen. Well, I was wondering if they might even go down the route of. Do you know it's Anthony Horowitz that wrote all the young Bonds? I wonder yes. if they'd even go right back to something like that. I mean, would that make as much money? Would that have as big an appeal? Probably not. Sure. But I just wonder like, because it would feel like a spin-off. No, no, and I and I don't dispute that, but I just wondered like where where can they go? Because it does feel like they've written themselves into a corner. But just to be, you know, just to be clear to any viewers who might get up or listeners rather who might get upset, Lashana Lynch's character is 007. That's the agent number she's been assigned. She's not actually Bond. So they're they may continue with the Bond franchise with a different 007, but it does kind of feel like they've murdered Bond. However, it doesn't say 007 will return, it says James that's Bond. That's true. So that's the thing, they did just yeah. reboot it. That's the thing, they can get away with that. If I just going to say, all these people are individual Bonds and own me timelines, their own universe, mm-hmm. so to speak. You just reboot mm-hmm. it and you just pretend Daniel Craig era never happened. And it works you know in what? that sense. I... It's difficult to buy into it, but it's like if I went to see, like, for example, well, if you went to see, like, um, Christian Bale's Batman. He doesn't die at the end yet, but he's no longer Batman. They'll think he's dead at the end of the mm-hmm. Dark Knight. Spoiler alert, have you not seen it? But <laughs> as far as I can see, Batman has died. And then they bring uh-huh. him back and Batman's Superman. They bring a new Batman at North Pass. We're going to have three different Batmans on screen next year. I know it's a multiverse comic thing that's different, mm-hmm. but you just reboot it. Colin James Bond. And you can, you people will turn around and say, but they killed Bond off. But then you, but mm-hmm. if you're saying you killed Bond off, you're accepting all these Bonds are the same person, which doesn't work. We've explained doesn't work. So yeah, yeah. I mean, even just tonally, they're all they're all different and stuff like that. I genuinely think that they need to give they need to give it like five years or something before they even think about entertaining this. Though it's still quite hot just now. It's still new at the cinema. There's all this debate over who's going to be the next Bond. There's a million names floating about. I genuinely think they need to give it like a, a good few years, sort of cooling off period as it were, and really think about what they're going to do with the character rather than rush into something. Yeah. I disagree with you. I think they're going to try and push forward as quickly as possible because... Do you think? Yeah, I think they're going to try and do something within the next two years. The, the like, time an- scale... an- like announce and start filming or as in announce yeah. the new Bond? They're going to announce, well, from what I've read, they're going to announce a new Bond at the start of the year after oh, really? this is all like January, February time they're talking about, like looking, at, and they must have a list of who they want, so I think it'll be So, quick. place your bets, who do you think? I don't think it'll be anybody that's in the sort of the top 10 list. I think no. it will be a young 
actor rather than like Idris Elba or anybody like that. I think it's going to I be mean, a young character. I think he's too with, old. I think you need too, someone yeah. in your thirties if you want to get maybe 10, 15 years out of them. Somebody had touted Richard Madden. Now I haven't seen enough of his acting to but the idea of returning to a Scottish bond kind of appeals to me. Um, if we're gonna reboot and restart, but I don't I haven't seen him in enough stuff to know if he's any good. Really, really I've, I've, I've not seen him in a lot of stuff. I've seen him as been quite hit and miss. Bizarrely enough, see if he does his Scottish accent, that's when he's least believable. Oh, no. <laughs> it's weird. It's really bizarre. Would he be a good Bond? I don't know. But I did okay. hear the strong rumour that the next Bond villain was mm-hmm. Tom Hardy. That I would be all over and then some. Because like, obviously he's been, able to be, he's, he's been rumoured as Bond for a while as well, but he would be an awesome Bond villain. Yeah, I think it's funny because I remember when Craig was announced, everyone was like, oh my god, a blonde Bond, this is ridiculous, but you just, I've totally fallen in love with his uh, interpretation (laughs) of the character. Um, But yeah, it's funny because people get hung up on, you know, Tom Hardy was too short, Idris Elba's not white, there's a whole list of reasons why people could not be your Bond, in air quotes again, and I just remember the the crap that Daniel Craig got when he first got announced, and actually I think he's been one of the the better ones. The blonde Bond, and it was like he had that uh, entrance to the premiere and the, the, the speedboat, and he was wearing the life jacket, and people were complaining Yay. about that, saying Bond would wear a life jacket. It's like he's a fucking actor. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's, oh, I totally forgot about that until you said that. So imagine, imagine actually getting shit for wearing a life jacket. <laughs> <laughs> Did they actually think the Queen? skydived at the other oh they must have she yep she flew out that helicopter so she did that was oh my god my uh sorry my no no. guess for the new bond is johnny flynn i think he would be pretty good in it for a couple of reasons one he's a young actor he's very good he's have you i don't know if you've seen him in many things he was in emma he played david bowie in the stardust film that just came out and and he's playing Ian is this Sunny World guy? Operation, yeah, the Sunny World guy, yeah. Really? He's playing Ian Fleming in Operation Minspeed next year, Ooh. which is about the faking where the the landings were going to be in Sicily mm-hmm. rather than Sardinia, I think it was. The book's very I... good, uh, but I think he would be an excellent sort of younger version of Bond. He doesn't, he doesn't do it for me because I always think Bond has to be attractive and he doesn't do anything for me in that sense. But if they do cast him as Bond, please, 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 if you're listening, whoever's writing this, can we get the line, time for a tasty debrief then in the movie? <laughs> <laughs> do you guys have anything else that you want to add about No Time to Die, about the villains, about the music, about the potential for black what about- women to ruin everyone's dreams? What about M, the fact that in this film he was almost as broken a character as Bond was because he basically introduced (laughs) the virus into the world under the guise of it'll help us beat the baddies because we can't get in the same room as them. He almost, he seemed, obviously he's been drinking a lot more, which was ironically highlighted by Bond. (laughs) I think if James Bond is telling you you've got a drink problem, you've got a fucking drink problem, <laughs> like, yeah. the fact that he comments on his decanter being out. But yeah, I, it's funny because people were sort of commenting on the fact that M got to drop the F-bomb and so far the only other M that's ever got to do that is uh, Dame Judi Dench and she deserves to drop all the F-bombs that she wants. But I thought it was a little, it felt a little bit forced coming, because I always think of Ray Fiennes a very classical, very upright, so it did feel a little bit forced. However, yes, I love the sort of disintegration of his character because he knew he'd fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. 
it was that scene where he, he obviously felt the the weight of the letter on him because he was sitting looking at the portrait of Judy Dench, and in a nice wee sort of callback to other Bond films, you got portraits of two of the other M's. There was the yes. Bernard Lee one and the, the sort of the, I can't remember the name of them, which I, I, like I thought was really rather nice. I suppose that's the thing. I, I really sh- should try and do more with Bond. I suppose I do more now, especially after Skyfall, is rather than trying to find logic in certain things. Just accept wee nods. Like if you see a portrait that previous um, who hasn't featured in this version of the films, just accept it for the wee Easter egg that it is, as opposed to mm-hmm. they're trying to claim this is one big universe type idea. Mm-hmm. Just accept mm-hmm. the nod. But um regarding the character, I thought, I thought uh, Ben Washaw's Q again was great. Yeah, like he, is really brilliant. And he is brilliant. He's saying he's probably his last film anyway, because he's only been contracted up until now. Uh, I think he had, really a, he had a nice wee bit in it as well with the when he was looking at the eye and uh, yeah. it came up and says, Bionic eye accessed. <laughs> that, that was pretty funny. It was good. See, yeah, like, to me, that's going to be callbacks to like uh, your choosier Bond moments. The idea yeah. that the villains lair may as well say entrance to evil lair on it type <laughs> idea. It's that kind of mm. it's stuff that Austin Powers took the piss out of. And yeah. they're not, and they're going, fine, we'll revel in wee things like that. Because it's supposed yeah. to be fun. Then the day Bond's supposed to be fun, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, just... a, it's a big blockbuster. I think it works because it, it does have the serious stuff. Like I said, I don't like the Roger Moore era because that felt like carry on Bonds to me. It was far too comedic for what was an offer. Whereas this has the, the balance because I, I like dark, bloodthirsty Bond as well. Yeah, which is fine. I mean, like, I thought Sean Connery did both of those quite well mm-hmm. uh, because let's be honest especially like, Dr No's stuff it's, it's, it's Dr No it's cheesy the evil villain in the lair the metal hand Blofeld with the cat and things like that it is the stuff that maybe at the time wasn't it, it was seen as serious at the time it's then become mm-hmm. pop culture and parody mm-hmm. to the point that you look back at it differently but on that kind of sense I thought uh, is it Dali Bensala is Primo the villain oh yeah, yeah. I, I thought he was great haircut was terrible I, but he was great <laughs> I thought he was great. He just seemed to be like a very classic Bond henchman as well. Yeah. Yeah, he couldn't just attempt to murder Bond. He had to say, he had to sort of do a wee bit of exposition while he was at it, you know. Greeting, you know, Spectre did this to you, by the way. Uh, before Aye. he kills him, you know, and you're thinking, mm, okay. I've I, I seen a, this is such a criticism in the film as well, saying it felt like an anthology of James Bond's greatest hits. And I'm like, yeah. I'm okay with that. that. Yeah. yeah. It's, a swan, it's a swan song, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like... Don't give me that. Don't give me fucking Madonna. Mm. <laughs> yeah, let's let's never go back there. Those were those were dark. Sure, days. In my opinion, it single-handedly ruined that film. <laughs> I I like the idea that he'd finally produced a child as well after shagging his way across most of the Western world. Uh, I mean, on, for all we uh, know, Bond could have been using protection this whole time, so let's not cast any judgment. Oh, <laughs> there's hundreds of mini Bonds popping around. Yeah. Where's he going to put a Bond army? Space. <laughs> we have a Bond army of children, so almost a sort of anti-fathers for justice. Yeah. You know, and they're like, uh, oh, they become Bond villains and they start like attacking dads, bad dads. I love it. I just think, for me, that was the thing though. I was like, when he was like, you know, she has my, and then she's like, your eyes. And then it's like, ooh, obviously this kid is fucking his. And I really hated the way that they sort of tried to tease the fact that is it his kid? Is it not his kid? It's obviously his fucking kid. That kind did of, you, yeah. Did you notice at the beginning of the film, um, when Bond puts on the train and the door shut, she grabs her stomach? She, I don't know yeah. if it was deliberate or not, yeah. but she does grab her stomach. Of course and it was, was like, yeah. Aye. Yeah. 
Because uh, initially, when the trailer came out, and there, it's the, the the initial action scene, and he's saying, you know, we all have secrets, we just haven't got to yours yet. Mm-hmm. It flashed through my mind. I don't know if this says more about me than anybody else, but I thought she's his daughter, <laughs> and that would oh. open up a whole new world oh. of possibilities for James Bond. When, 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 when Blofeld's talked to calling her the daughter of Spectre and things like that, I'm going, is mm-hmm. he Blofeld? And then I was sitting going, hold on a minute, are they no brothers? Hold on a minute. And I, uh, wait a minute. I forget the adopted no, part of it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, 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 forgot, I forgot about that part. I'm going, yeah. So I, 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 wasn't, far, I wasn't far from your logic, John. I was like, yeah, so but just far enough to be uh, on the right side of uh, normal. <laughs> 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 Yeah, it definitely, I mean, that definitely never uh, crossed my mind, I have to say. But I just, um, yeah, I didn't like the way that they were trying to sort of tease out the fact that this could be his kid. This, I mean, obviously, as you said, John, he's had sex with pretty much like 99% of the female population. Like, he's obviously produced a kid at some point. So, yeah, it was a bit of an, an odd tease to have when it was so, such an obvious uh, plot point. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, if he's been doing that since 1962, there's probably some children that's older than, older than he is. This time. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm telling you, children of Bond, that's the that's the next step in this uh, franchise. But, uh, a wee correction, by the way, um it was Charlie Hickson that wrote the, the young Bond novels, oh. not oh, Anthony. Was it? Anthony Horowitz wrote a Bond novel. I think that's, what, I was, one that's one what I was thinking of, yeah. Do you remember yeah. the cartoon James Bond Jr.? No. no. No, it was his nephew. It was that person or his son. They didn't fuck with the controversy that much back then. But basically, yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was. It was. If you watch it, I'll send you the link in YouTube. The YouTube link okay. for the, the intro. It was cheesy, me cheesy theme tune and stuff. But yeah, it was his his nephew. Mm-hmm. Well, the young Bond books are pretty good. I've read maybe I think it's five of them. I've read maybe three or four of them. Pretty good stories. And apparently they were ov- as soon as the first one got released there was obviously talk of making films and stuff like mm-hmm. that but uh barbara broccoli said no we're going to hold off on that we're going to leave that for like, a number of years we don't want to just dive into that mm-hmm. but given the fact that they've signed this deal with amazon mm-hmm. yeah know, there's every Ooh, possibility that something like that could come that... out of it which may yeah. fill the gap may actually fill mm-hmm. a gap rather than rushing into another production of another film so with the amazon deal then you might even see things like villain 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 origin stories or mm-hmm. sort of taking characters from the bond universe whether it's m or whether it's miss Moneypenny, maybe sort of expanding on there i mean i don't know how much of an audience or how much of an appeal these things have but i do think that with the amazon deal there's a, there's an intention there to produce content i'm just not sure it's never going to be the movies they're going to go they're always going to go to cinema but and there's maybe a, an opportunity for a sort of extended universe type thing. Yeah, if they throw as much money into that as they do the likes of the Jack Ryan series, mm-hmm. then yeah, you've got high quality drama and it could be the MI6 universe or like yeah. you say, it could bring back certain characters, expanding mm-hmm. certain characters. Like you said, like some characters didn't give very much screen time here at mm-hmm. all. Like the scene, obviously scenes in Cuba, that could all be expanded and all that, various mm-hmm. characters involved. So yeah, hi, there's... A mountain of possibilities, let's face it. Was there no chat of a Miss Moneypenny spin off at one point? I don't know. With, with Neil Maharis. I'm just double checking. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there might be on Amazon now. Because there was supposed to be a Jinx film, if you remember. Yeah, back that's to right. Down all day, but that got canned because of the critical reception, too. 
Bond film. It's interesting to see that uh, the Bond film is now the fourth biggest film of the year, and it's also the fourth biggest Bond film ever. And Daniel wow. Craig has the top five grossing Bond films of all time now. Doesn't surprise me. And obviously, uh, it's still showing in about thirty screens uh, yeah. in Cineworld. So uh, the chances are it's it's going to be the biggest Bond film as yeah. well. So yeah. I'm always intrigued to see who's going to be obviously when they announce a new Bond, and obviously who's doing the the uh, theme tune. But as I say, I thought Billie Eilish did a really good job. I really liked it. It was quite haunting, and um, I thought the title mm-hmm. sequence, you know, worked really well. I would I still say that out of the Craig era. I think You Know My Name might be the best theme song, closely followed by Adele, obviously. But I think I still think that uh, Chris Cornell's is probably the best out of the... the I always think that he's only done four films because I never I never, never count Quantum of Solace. <laughs> Everyone oh, forgets yeah, what Quantum of Solace. Yeah, because it was shit. Ah, Which... oh, no, I like Quantum of Solace. I felt Matthew Alaric was wasted. He's a brilliant actor and he was a shit villain again. So there's the same thing. It's like with Christoph Faltz. He's a really good actor but a shit villain. I, I need to go back and watch all the Daniel Craig films to be fair because I remember giving Spectre a very, very favourable review and without watching it a second time, grew to hate it. That's interesting. It's mm. not It's not the best. And again, a wee bit of a waste of Monica Bellucci. Yeah, who was famously older than Daniel Craig. Yeah, because oh, they made such a big deal. I mean, in fairness, do I want to see like 50-something-year-old Bond hitting on 20-something-year-old glasses? Probably not. It's probably a bit icky. But, I mean, she looks better at 52 than I look at 32. So <laughs> she's, she's just a goddess as far as I'm concerned. She is. Incredible. No, Mary. No, no, no. That's not right. I know. I feel... I, I, I would say it, I Thomas, for goodness sake. <laughs> I mean, Mary, you know I love you. I I know I love you, but come on. I love John. (laughs) (laughs) It's all right. I I know my place. I mean, fuck's sake, I've got eyes. She's stunning, right? (laughs) Well, do you guys have anything else that you'd like to to add about the Bondiverse or anything else? No, I think I've just a bit covered everything. Spoiled enough, I think, for for one sitting. It seems very strange, actually, having a conversation about films and actually spoiling them as well. It's it's unusual for us. See, it's funny, there's one point during the film I thought to myself, I wonder if I'm going to kill Bond off here. Not thinking actually would because, you know, he's going mm-hmm. to, you think he's dead, but he comes back at the end of the car or something. It's kind of like the end of Dark Knight, basically, Dark Knight mm-hmm. Rises. Mm-hmm. But you see, you see the explosion that you see him kind of engulfed in this flame. I'm like, yeah, if they bring him back for this, it's you kind of like <laughs> yeah. twist at the end, they're at it. Yeah. You know, there's, there's oh, I, I was even thinking about like after the credits type thing, you know, you see we hand kids, but like, no, you can't, he's just dead. You know, I was worried they were going to do that. However, you know, next Bond film, he's been so burned, he gets skin grafted into Richard Madden. Look, he looks completely different because he's had all his face put back together because he was so mm. burned. Or maybe yep. they just like make the Bond film in 20 years' time and just pretend, no, nah, you didn't see that. Like the old Flash Gordon serials where you would see him land in the lava, the volcano, but the previous week he had a jetpack out of nowhere and flew out the window. Yeah, <laughs> um, I spoke to a mate about this who grew up watching them, and it was saying you didn't remember people didn't record them. They had no way of remembering yeah. what happened the previous week, so you just took a look at. Did he have the lava? Maybe he didn't. Maybe I just imagined that because it just it was shown at cinemas. It was like a an additional feature and like a Saturday oh, morning right. screening. So they would show that and they would show all these various serials. So you would go once a week, and you would obviously have the. The cliffhanger ending, and then you go back the next week, and you oh remember that oh how's it going to go out? And then of course, like you say, jetpack or you know he manages to jump out the way or something and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I 
I don't think the scene uh, of hit the lava. <laughs> yeah, aye. Somehow I don't think there was a, a trap door or anything. That Safin had, mind you, he had a trap door. Oh, he did. Please, please, he I did. really hope, I hope there's some deleted scene where you go back to it and see as the kind of like the dust cloud comes, you just see Bunko, ha 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 ha, it was like a, 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 a hole in the ground. <laughs> yeah, apart from hey, the fact that they drained enough uh, munitions onto the island to basically flatten it, uh, yeah, <laughs> you, that would be a nice deleted scene if you see him go through the trap door and he's like, yeah, brilliant, and he's like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just explodes anyway. <laughs> Uh, that whole island was a death trap. How they managed to keep a successful workforce there all the time, given that there was like you know the virus river, all the <laughs> all the bombs yeah. that they obviously had on site, the evil genius, the, the plants that were designed to kill you. Like, how did anyone stay alive in that workforce? But it must have been a very safe environment because if you think about it, they were all in there and they were all. I don't know what they were doing in the water with the big rods in it. They were, it looks as if they were like combing it, ah. uh, and they all were really surprised when one of the henchmen fell in <laughs> and started burning up. They're all going. But wait a minute, <laughs> there's something wrong here. Wait a minute, we've yeah, been working next on. to this. What's in this water? <laughs> no. yeah. Yeah. So I this is why we're wearing the suits. Mm. <laughs> I, do, I do like the fact, I like the idea if they make this uh, killing Bond off a tradition for the last actor. Yeah, I'd I would be really like that. that. Yeah, I'd be okay with that. I think that'd be great if that became a new tradition and they just, you just kill him off at the end. Because yeah, you go to the film thinking, right, this, is, this is like such and such last Bond rule. I wonder how they're going to do him in. Mm. Yeah, I could, I'm okay with that. I, I mean, I don't believe that James Bond's a code name. I believe that James Bond is a person. And but I just, it's it's just one of these things. Oh, it's it's like Batman. It's like Doctor Who. You just accept when someone else takes over the role because not you can't possibly have one person playing it forever because it becomes ridiculous. You know, even to the extent where Daniel Craig wasn't doing his scary knees up running so much in this film because he's in his fifties now. Like it's just not possible. So yeah, I just I, I'm okay with him sort of killing people off or whatever. You know. I'm still going to see a Bond movie. Also, speaking of Daniel Craig and of the Bond chats briefly, do you know how much he's getting paid for the Knives Out sequels? I saw oh, that, yeah. It's 100 million or something like that, isn't it? 100 million for both of them. He, does a, southern accent. he does a southern accent very, By very well. Netflix. Yeah, but the thing is, they're making loads. I mean, if you think about lockdown and Squid Games, all that stuff that's come out recently, they are raking it in. But see if you I'll Google this, so it's Google uh, Netflix business model is very, very complicated and interesting when it comes to mm. their debt levels and manageable debt, their profit margins and stuff. It's crazy. Oh, I thought you were going to tell me it was like a, like an Arbonne or something, like an MLM or something like that. I was going to say, like, it's, you get your friends to buy five Netflixes and then they get their friends to buy one. Like, I thought you were going to say it was something like that. Pyramid scheme. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. You're, 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 you may go to your ma. Do you want to use my Netflix account? You try to start putting their Herbalife, Herbalife <laughs> on the sites. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, thank you so much all for listening to our Bond special, a little deviation from our usual format. We just wanted to chat about how much we loved No Time to Die. Um, as John said, it's still like 30 showings a day in your local multiplex, so there's still plenty of time to catch it. In the meantime, you can find us on all of our social channels at Movie Scramble. And if you want to drop us an email, you can email us at podcasts at moviescramble.co.uk. Um, but until next time, if you've got any ideas or um, topics you want to share with us, obviously just drop us a line and then we will see you soon. See ya. The Movie Scramble podcast will return. <laughs> <laughs>